0: with a very special episode about the Milton Berle episode of The Muppet Show! Hi-ho, everyone. This is David Levy. Welcome back. I am so thrilled to
1: be here today with... Christy Bauer. Michal Richardson.
2: Adam Grossworth. We are here this week with no preamble to talk about Season 2, Episode 3 of The Muppet Show. This episode was produced the week of June 9th, 1977. Uh, it did not air in New York City until November 14th, 1977. So it was the ninth episode aired of season two.
3: To introduce our guest star, that's what I'm here to do. So it really makes me happy to introduce to you.
0: Milton Burl, known to fans as both Uncle Milty and Mr. Television, had a career that spanned silent pictures, vaudeville, radio, talkies, nightclubs, and yes, television. His career literally spanned from The Perils of Pauline to Keenan and Kel. Born Milton Berlinger in New York on July 12, 1908, Rowe got his start in vaudeville at age 10, and before long was also playing child roles in silent movies. He tried to make the leap to radio in the 1940s, but he found limited success there. Meanwhile, he was honing his grown-up act on the nightclub scene, where he learned that he didn't need to write his own material to put across a great act. His physicality was a big part of his appeal— which might be what made him not a great fit for radio. He began methodically collecting every joke he could get his hands on, eventually amassing a joke file he claimed held more than 4 million jokes. He did have something of a reputation as a joke thief, but he also had an incredible memory, and he was able to deploy these jokes uh, really on a moment's notice, which made him uh, an excellent comedian for crowd work, which we'll get a taste of in this episode, sort of. He also had a reputation for having one of the largest penises in Hollywood, but that's neither here nor there. In 1947, he founded the Friars Club of Beverly Hills at the Old Savoy Hotel on Sunset Boulevard, along with Jimmy Durante, George Jessel, Robert Taylor, and Bing Crosby. He was a frequent participant in the famous Friars Club roasts, and you can still hear a bunch of them on the internet, on YouTube, and on Spotify. His breakthrough success came in 1948 as the star of Texaco Star Theater, a comedy variety show on NBC. Some credit the success of this show with not only making Milton Burl's career, but also with cementing the success of television with the American public. Berle was so beloved that in 1951, NBC signed him to a 30-year contract just to ensure he wouldn't get snatched away by a rival network. The show would eventually be renamed The Milton Berle Show, and it ran until 1956 for a total of eight years. NBC would twice attempt to revive it in 1958 and again in 1966, although neither of those versions lasted more than a single season. Burl won the Emmy for Most Outstanding Kinescoped Personality in 1950. In 1979, he was awarded a special Emmy Award titled Mr. Television. He was twice nominated for Emmys for his acting as well in 1962 and 1995. By the time he was on The Muppet Show, Milton Burl had basically settled into the phase of his career where he would make guest star appearances on a few television series each year. And given the longevity of his career, it might be shorter to list the shows he didn't visit. He worked pretty consistently up through the mid-1990s. He made a few more movies over his later years as well, including a memorable cameo in the Muppet movie as Madman Mooney. But he wasn't called Mr. Television for nothing. Burl was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1984. His final credit was as Uncle Leo in the made-for-TV movie, Keenan and Kel, Two Heads Are Better Than None, in the year 2000, 86 years after his first film credit. He died in March 2002. In getting ready for this episode, I sort of I went online and asked my friends what they recommend as sort of the quintessential Milton Berle performances, because I felt like I knew him more by reputation than from any particular performance. And I think that's because really most of his, certainly his career during my lifetime was almost entirely these guest appearances. And even in the week that we were getting ready to record this, he popped up on an episode of the nanny that I was watching. Um, But I'm curious if, any of you have specific Milton Berle associations or memories?
3: I actually do. I I think of Milton Berle as being the like quintessential figure of the lost monoculture that we talk about a lot. I, I don't think we have a figure quite like him today. It's fascinating to me because our culture is so fragmented. Our pop culture is so fragmented, I should say. And I, I really racked my brain and I couldn't, I mean, I, I could think of actors from movies that are a huge deal, but nobody that has that sort of like multi-generational.
0: I feel like Rosie O'Donnell was on track to do that. And then when she ended her talk show, she chose to sort of retreat back into something closer to a normal life and, and kind of gave that up. Well, or like yeah. Oprah.
3: Yeah. Yeah, but even but it's different. O- Oprah's not an entertainer. Right. You know, I I cuz I, I I was also thinking. I was like, I mean, the like James Corden like <laughs> yeah, no, I,
1: Each of I, these comparisons is rougher than the next. <laughs> right.
3: We're, we're we're digging a hole. But but yeah, but but no, but the, like the sort of talk show late night person who also pops up in cameo ways but even that i think doesn't scratch the surface of and again that's because you know there were only two or three channels and you know well, and it's
2: interesting too because like i mean i don't i don't really know what what milton Burl's like 40s and 50s stuff was like but you know like we we all looked at james corden because we're we're musical theater people and we have strong opinions about him but like to to even like be at that level or what Rosie was in the nineties, there has to be like a, a particular softness is not quite the right word, but you know what I mean? Right. And there's something even like- on the Muppet show. Yeah. ability. Broad appeal. Niceness, broad appeal. Right. Like, and, and there's something, um, even on the Muppet show, like a little bit caustic about Milton Berle. It's, it's really interesting to me that like, he didn't do well on radio and, and like his physicality was a big part of his appeal. Um, because like, I've never, I don't think I've ever seen an actor who looked more like a caricature of himself true
1: Alfred e. newman
2: yeah like if you see a portrait of, of at sardis or whatever like he looks exactly the same it's not like nothing is exaggerated we've talked about this before too like the, that vaudeville thing like he's very you know he's very new york he's very jewish frankly like it, there's like it wouldn't it wouldn't work today in the same way and i'm fascinated by that as 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 something in the monoculture.
0: I mean, he also, I think, knew how to play to different audiences in a way that would meet them where they're at. And I listened to like an hour-long interview with him that I think was from the 60s that, again, I found on Spotify, where he said something that I think got reworked into dialogue in the show Hacks on HBO Max, uh, where he talked about how he likes to start his act with kind of like a test joke in his monologue. And he sort of feels out his audience to see how smart they are, how dirty they want him to be. And then he adjusts the rest of his act accordingly. Mm. And, and, and and that's really true. Like even just in the the stuff that I sampled this week, like some of those Friars Club roasts are really, really filthy. But then you watch him on the Muppet show or on Batman or on the nanny or on Keenan and Kel. And he's just like, you know, a friendly uh, fatherly or grandfatherly figure and he could sort of do everything in between. And I think that's part of what made him really work across a country that, you know, is not, even though it had a monoculture is not monolithic.
2: The context is really helpful to me because, you know, even though like we know, and we've talked about this, like the Muppet show was not being made specifically for kids, even though that's kind of how we think about it now. Like something about Milton Burl felt like such a throwback watching it like this vaudeville star this 50s tv star in a way that no other guest has really read that way to me like (laughs) zero mistel was literally about to die but he was like a current broadway star and but milton burl felt watching it to me much more of like much more out of place on what i know is not really but what reads as a kid show like who is this for this star from 20 years earlier, but he's not really, cause he really did stay current for all of that time. So that that's actually really helpful to understand about how this would have played in 77. So Christy, uh, what did you think of this episode overall?
3: Well, if I take off the yay season two goggles, this episode is solid, not a favorite, just solid. I mean, I was thrilled to see pigs in space pigs in space is a particular favorite of mine and i also think that milton burl fits in with the muppets in a way that is reminiscent of how phyllis diller fit in with the muppets like he, he sort of meets them where they live and there's like not any sort of like pretense or hesitation it's just like oh we're here you're, you're who i'm working with today great let's do it <laughs> and uh it, in a lot of ways, this episode is very deeply weird, and uh, we'll definitely get into it. But uh, yeah, I, you know, it's uh, it's solid. It's fun. It's not the best, but it's a good time. David? Yeah,
0: uh, same. It's uh, This is an episode that feels like it's slightly less than the sum of its parts, because I really like most of the parts. But without getting too far ahead of ourselves the back to back renditions of a song that we've already heard in the philistella episode was super weird it just totally derailed the episode for me I, I think if you remove that and also i really don't like the monster song uh, what's left i think is a really great episode
2: it's funny. for me it's it's more than the sound of its parts because uh, it's, you're we're going to you're going to hear me not dislike a lot of these parts but i came away from it actually really happy and, and having having not been thrilled about the first two episodes of the season, this one ended and I was like, I really enjoyed that. And certainly if we weren't doing a podcast about it and I had only watched it once, I would have definitely felt that way. The close watch that we do for this sent me to some places. We'll get into it. Nicole, <laughs> how about you?
1: <laughs> yeah, similar. I would have expected myself to have warmer feelings about this episode, given how many of the individual elements of it I enjoyed. Um, the ugly song and the way uh, Miss Piggy shakes her thing in The Entertainer, and even Milton Berle Speak Singing, uh, it grew on me on the second watch. Um, there's plenty of content in here that really pretty much has my name written on it. They have a finale that's full of goofy, terrible puns, and I love every single one of them, and it's the de- debut of Pigs in Space. There's plenty that I enjoyed about this episode, but uh, put it all together, and it it kind of dragged itself down, and I think it's... Having the entertainer right in the middle of it twice in a row, um, so it's a solid episode, but it's it's not going to be one of my favorites.
3: Twenty seconds
4: to curtain. Stand by for makeup. Stand by for what?
1: <laughs> At which point, Timmy Monster yells "Makeup!" and smacks him with a giant powder puff, uh, which is funny, and Milton Burl's reaction is funny and overblown. It was already a Milton Burl running gag um, that he had been using in his show. David, what was the link that you sent us? Like the original Milton Berle, enormous oversized powder puff.
0: Yeah, I found an auction house that had auctioned off one of his powder puffs from his show from this running gag that went for thousands of dollars. Yikes.
1: Just in case you want to smack your friends in the face with Milton Berle's face. Gross. (laughs) Uh, Moving on to the uh, yay correspondent. Anything there? So I, I clipped this for another reason, but it, have we had a hi-ho before? Is this our 1st high hi-ho this episode? Surely it's happened at least on Sesame street, but I don't know about on the Muppet show.
2: Okay. Well, I, I mostly, so the, this is, we've talked about this before and this week is especially egregious. So the opening number is, is I think never so far the, the guest, um, but Kermit will often come out on stage and talk about what a great guest is coming up and then introduce (laughs) something else entirely. And this is like his worst segue yet, but it also features what what might be our first hi-ho.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Hi-ho. And here we go again with another edition of the Muppet show. Uh, Tonight's a special one for us because our guest star is one of the truly great comedians, Milton Berle. Mm -hmm. So now for tonight's opening number, here he is, one of the beautiful people.
2: Not Milton Berle. (laughs) It's so (laughs) weird. I don't
1: understand. Yeah, it never quite does make sense. Hi-ho. Hi-ho. Here we are. Yes, we've got uh, Statler and Waldorf, another show, another headache, and we've got Gonzo's uh, bugle or trumpet or what have you. Um, It sprays water all over the Muppet show sign, and Gonzo looks uh, kind of impressed with the job he did.
0: I have two things I want to say about that. First is that On my TV, I am pretty sure that the water is, like, mixed with milk or something to make it more visible in the joke, which is probably great on a 1970s tube TV and absolutely disgusting on a 2021 (laughs) IMF TV. Okay.
3: I'm glad it wasn't just me because, like, when I really paid attention, I was like, oh, God, what is that? (laughs) Yeah. Make it
1: stop. I skipped seeing the Happy Town, Funky Town for a reason.
0: And then – this week, I finally got around to rewatching Muppets Most Wanted, where they restaged the opening number a few times. And in that, it is very clear that Gonzo is using a trumpet and not a bugle. You can see the the valves. So I think going forward, we can at least safely assume that at some point he's playing a trumpet. So if we want to just say trumpet instead of trumpet bugle, I feel like we have <laughs> uh, validated that choice.
1: Yeah. It's a it's a representation of a trumpet, even if it's not a full-blown <laughs> trumpet.
2: In, during season one, we talked a lot about the DVDs, because it's how I was watching the show most of the time, because they had the pop-up trivia that was super useful. And the menus on those DVDs have this horrible music loop that is not the Muppet Show theme for some reason.
1: Is it? All- it's yeah.
2: It's really weird, and it, it <laughs> it's like they. I don't. You have the rights to the music. I don't understand why you're not using the music. But it opens with this trumpet blast, which I'm almost positive is this this like waterlogged trumpet note.
1: Oh no! Which now it's makes the one it DVD's even,
2: do? Yeah, which now makes it even weirder that they like cut together this music using a clip of the actual Muppet show. But also from a different season than was on that DVD. Yes. I, I don't understand. But like I, every time I heard it prepping for this episode, I was like, ah, it's the menu music. It's the menu music. Make it stop.
1: Yeah. So it, Those menus
3: are,
2: are like so bad because in addition to the
0: music loop, there's also like looping Muppet telling jokes.
2: Yeah. It's like Sattler and Waldorf and the voices are bad and it's,
0: yeah it's just yeah
1: and mm. berating you for watching them instead of choosing an episode
2: younger people who are listening to our podcast there was a period where dvd menus f- like fun dvd menus were a thing they had easter eggs <laughs> and like, like hidden fun. selections it, it was terrible and they just loop they loop endlessly and it's they're, ju- they're just awful yeah. and i'm glad that that period is behind
1: navigation us. was unwieldy that's yeah. in the past anyway all, all navigation is fine now anyway oh, yeah, no. <laughs> they fully thought saw-
2: <laughs> Fully has solved that problem, HBO Max.
1: up at Joe backstage. Here's the whole backstage plot. Fozzie is hiding from Milton Burrow. That's the whole shtick. He doesn't want to be found. He tries disguises. He tries hiding behind things. He uh, is reluctant to meet his idol, because what would he say? <laughs> Fozzie?
4: Yeah. Oh, What are you doing? I'm hiding from Milton Burrow. Hiding from Milton Burl, but he's your idol. Don't you want to meet him? Made him? Why do you think I'm hiding, Kermit? What could this lowly bear say to the king of comics? About hello. <laughs> hello? I just couldn't say hello. No, I'd have to make a little speech
3: and grovel a lot. <laughs> well, whatever you say, but uh, I think there's one thing you should know about uh, Milton Burrow. Right. He's coming down the stairs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> the way he says grovel, grovel is so cute. And hello. Right I also up. love
0: his little... Costume outfit. He's got like this very elaborate, like green witch mask that he's holding in front of his face.
1: Yeah, he's uh, got like this paper mache mask and a, a sequined, very much not in, inconspicuous
2: cape. Well, both of his disguises feel like he went into costume stock and grabbed them, which I also love about it. Like right. it feels very real.
0: <laughs> Except they don't look and, like anything that you would ever see on The Muppet Show.
2: Well, no, but Hilda's gone, so it's chaos. So, you know, right. I got it.
1: Yeah, I did wonder, like, who who was tasked with making that mask? And ho- they spent a long time on it. This, like, right. And it's Muppetized,
2: right? So it's not like they just went out and bought it.
1: Although it, it's oversized on Fozzie, so maybe That's maybe great. they did buy it. Anyway, uh, he tries to hide in plain sight with another disguise.
4: What does it look like, small boy I have never seen before?
0: Well, it looks like Fozzie Bear trying to hide from Milton Burl. You have penetrated my disguise. Oh, Fozzie. Oh. Fozzie, why don't you just go up to Milton Burl and introduce yourself? Oh, I just couldn't do that, Scooter. Well, I see your <sighs> point. Milton's monologue was terrific. Yeah. yeah. As a matter of fact, he's much funnier than you are. know, well, if you really want to know the truth... I don't. I
1: don't. What's wrong with old-fashioned lying? <laughs> there are two visual bits that I love that happened during this clip where... Fozzie is holding his squishy clown nose that he's been wearing over his original nose, which is basically a clown nose. He's got like two layers of foam that have been on his face. And the other thing that I couldn't stop looking at is the back of Scooter's eyeballs. That when he's looking at Fozzie and away from us, the the back of his glasses are very clear, Mm -hmm. which is a weird little thing to look out for.
2: Scooter and Gonzo both get a little mean in this episode. We'll get to Gonzo later, but in ways that just delight me.
1: I mean, Scooter's always
2: a little mean. Scooter's always a little bit undermining, it's true.
1: Yeah, but unwittingly, he's just kind of an idiot about interpersonal (laughs) interactions. All of Fozzie's hiding goes out the window when he overhears Milton Berle looking for Fozzie because he actually wants to do a musical number with him.
4: You? You? A song and dance with me? You the, the king of the baggy pants comics? How about Top Banana? What? Top Banana. Listen, Mr. Burrell, if you want me to call you a banana, I'll do it. I'll call you a, a, a Brussels sprout, a plum, whatever, I'll do it. <laughs> no, no, kid. You see, Top Banana is what they call the head comic. Back in the
1: days of burlesque. Ah! So, let me tell you. So they bust out singing Top Banana, which we will get to.
0: How did Fozzie learn the song so quickly?
1: I
2: mean... oh hush. <laughs> <laughs> he also learned all the jokes.
1: That's Yeah, they, they had a very well-rehearsed number that they just put on with no rehearsal. We'll get to the musical aspects of Top Banana in a bit, but uh, in the middle of the song, they cut into all these really tired but really... Wonderful, terrible gags where Milton Berle keeps walking across the stage carrying assorted things like a, a crate and he says he's taking his case to court. He walks the other way and or maybe it's the same way again, I don't remember. <laughs> he has like same crate and a ladder and he says he's taking his case to a higher court. And then here's my favorite thing on the whole episode. He walks on holding just a clothes hanger and crying.
4: Do we have to do this, Joe. You gotta do it. Um, Slowly <laughs> pal. I know, I know, <laughs> <laughs> You got a lot of guts, pal, I'll tell you that. Feed me once more, please. Feed me. uh, Hey, what happened in court? Are you ready? (laughs) I lost the
2: suit.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was just relieved that I wasn't another wire for Mr. Bear.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's too fancy a clothes hanger for that sort of thing. It wasn't even a wire hanger. It was like a, a nice wooden hanger that he stole from a hotel.
3: I was expecting a hung jury joke,
0: but. Mm, Yeah, I was too, actually. And that's what makes him.
1: (laughs) The king of comedy.
3: (laughs) I I love this backstage plot so much. Like, like it it is a perfect example of uh, my philosophy as far as, like, meeting your heroes. I don't believe don't meet your
1: heroes. I believe in meeting your heroes if they want to meet you.
0: That's a nice way to put it.
1: And if they want to tell a bunch of terrible jokes with you, then run on stage and do it. Exactly. And I, d- I do love how like Fozzie's been so painfully shy the whole episode. He's been trying and trying to hide. And then as soon as he has an opportunity to entertain with Milton Burl, he just transforms in a matter of seconds. It's nice.
0: Also, Gonzo has eyelids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And he deploys... <laughs> Gonzo deploys his brand new eyelid mechanism at Milton Berle to cast dispersions on whether he will be successful in his stand-up.
0: I'm so focused on Gonzo coming into his own this season and particularly the next episode, which I know we're all dreading because none of us are excited about Rich Little, but I am excited that it's a Gonzo focused story. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm keeping the faith with Gonzo.
1: It's taken him a while to get there, but he is coming into his own. There's also a running gag about Statler and Waldorf where their hearing aids aren't working. That's, that is what it is.
3: Yeah. No, if we must, we must. Yeah. So we, we have w- one terrible song, one song twice, <laughs> uh, and uh, some other songs. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, our opening number, uh, which comes after this strange segue in which we think we're going to get a Milton-, Milton Berle bit and then we don't, is quite literally ugly. He's not the prettiest to be found. He's a useful and
4: happy reptile. I'll double up anyone left lying around, and that gives me my permanent smile.
0: Sure makes you appreciate the gingerbread
2: men, doesn't it? No. Uh-huh. no, we'll get to what does, but that wasn't the, wasn't these guys. These yeah, guys
3: yeah. I mean, the I, I don't blame the the Muppets themselves here. It's just okay. So it's a song called "Ugly Song" by. Paul Tracy, who was primarily an actor and a theater actor. He appeared on Broadway in The Boyfriend with uh, Sandy Duncan. Hey. Hey. Yeah. And in The Rothschilds with Hal Linden and Jill Kleberg. And he was also in not the original West End company of company, (laughs) but the replacement company of company. (laughs) (laughs) He He was not the lead. He played David. I looked it up. And he had started writing songs uh, on the side and uh, put out an album of songs. And this was one of them. And he actually ended up with four songs on uh, The Muppet Show over the course of season two and season three. So we'll, we'll get to talk about them and him more. But interestingly, he had actually met with Jim Henson and had uh, written songs specifically for The Muppet Show that did not get used. Sad for him.
0: I did not like this song.
3: No, I didn't either.
0: And 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 when I say, I, I don't really mean it made me appreciate the Gingerbread Man, it made, it made me appreciate the Gingerbread song. Oh, I love the Gingerbread song.
2: I hate the Gingerbread <laughs> Man.
0: <laughs> but what I really hated is that the song relies on mistressed lyrics, and the idea that Paul Tracy was in a Stephen Sondheim show not long before this, and was able to pass off these incredibly bad mistressed lyrics as a final product,
2: just... It hurts my soul.
3: You're singing the song of my people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, considering the horrible scansion that is yet to come in the next number, I, <laughs> I didn't even notice, <laughs> but like, like it's fine. I think it's fine as a Muppet number, but it's, it's so badly shot. It's this single shot in this really tight, close framing. And like half the Muppets are like half out of the frame the whole time. I, I just don't, I understand they're on a budget. uh, Well, And they had this
1: gimmick where they would transition out of one shot by having it look like the camera is going into the mouth of one Muppet and coming out of the mouth of another Muppet. So I guess they had to keep everything tight. It's odd. I I wasn't upset by the framing of it overall. I wasn't upset by the song overall. I didn't think it was a great song, but also it's, that's a bunch of monsters and frackles singing about being monsters and frackles. It's fine with me.
0: No, there's signal being ugly.
2: <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Fair. It's the kind of thing, like, again, where, like, if I just watched it once, it wouldn't bother me. But then like, I go to make a GIF. And I'm like, wait, where? <laughs> I don't understand where the edge of the frame is. And yeah. we've just, we've seen, we've seen so many delightful numbers where it's just a single camera and a blue background and a bunch of freckles, maybe a human in the middle, not really doing anything. And it's totally charming and, and joyful. And so I was like, I don't understand why this feels so weird and off to me.
3: Yeah, uh, I, I've i kept thinking back most specifically to the Florence Henderson happy together. Yeah, me too. Because it looked like almost 201, with the <laughs> exception of the crocodile, Uh, the same motley crew of Frackles that yeah. uh, were with her. Yeah. Like, they, they tended to use these sort of, like, blue and green color-coordinated groups as backup singers for a more substantial song. So I, I sort of was like, it, this feels rudderless.
0: I wonder if they pitched this to Milton Berle and he was offended by their suggestion <laughs> that he be included.
1: They were like, alright, we'll put me and Mama in the middle. Milton Berle won't do it.
0: I don't know. It felt to me like a middle school video project, which obviously in the seventies, no one in middle school was doing video projects. But by the time I was in middle school in the nineties, this is the kind of thing we might've come up with
1: to be like, Oh, I found a song with a crocodile and a warthog and I have those puppets. So here they are.
0: Right. Like I, I have some stuffed animals and I realize that if I zoom in, I can make it look like I'm going into their mouth and I press pause and then move them around and zoom out a plus.
1: Going back to the file of things you might have had to learn for your piano lessons.
3: Yeah. So remember a couple of episodes when we were like, wow, isn't it funny that we have two uh, Michelle Legrand, Alan and Marilyn Bergman songs in an episode? Isn't that wild? (laughs) Uh, Boy, do we have the be all end all of that phenomenon. Here we have the same song. Twice. And not just the, the same song in this episode, but a song that we've already seen before.
1: They ran not out just of song. Twice.
0: Back to back. But it's not even like they do it and then later on there's a reprise. It's like they do it and then they rewind and just start right back the fuck over. Yeah, it's not a, a reprise.
1: It's not an encore. It's just the same song twice.
2: I don't even Okay. <laughs> so So these clips are longer than we usually this is where i went insane in prepping this episode like i watched this once and it it honestly barely registered so the song is the entertainer not to steal christy's job but like (laughs) and like it's it's such a like the song is just so everywhere it's like wallpaper and so like it it happened and then i was like oh that's weird they're doing it again but like it, it it hardly even registered and then i started making clips and i I sort of lost my mind and like the more time I spent with it, the more insane I felt. And I just, I need to convey that to you, our listeners. So, so here's the first clip. It's longer than our usual clips, but like I, I, I needed to capture like what is happening. And so much of that is Milton Berle.
4: <laughs> the entertainer, right? Yeah. That's the name of the song. You know, most people don't know that there are worries to that song. Yeah, that's true. You know what they're about? Hmm. They're about the stars and the performers and the entertainers that appeared during the heyday of vaudeville. Hey, you used to be in vaudeville, didn't you? Yeah, sure I was. Well, when I was a kid. Was a kid. Sure. Yeah. How many performances you, did you do in vaudeville? Oh, what? I'd say between 80,000 and 100,000. Wow. <laughs> you were really the entertainer, weren't you? One of them, yeah. One.
1: <laughs> many, many fond memories.
4: Now the curtain Is gone up The entertainer Is taking a bow He does his dance set And sings his song he Even gets the audience To sing along Yes He
2: knows just. What okay, so if you're still awake, that goes on for a while <laughs> And then the Muppets join in
4: all the singers dancing there was a dancing bear, even a dog act there,
0: and a comedian who never let him down. But when he came on to do his favorite
4: song, he really wowed him in the cities and
2: the towns. They
4: came
3: from near and far to see the part of The, star, the Entertainer.
4: No. Now the curtain <laughs> is going down on the entertainer, the artist, the pro. So. Yeah,
3: that's, that's enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's too so much of that.
3: The reason that most people don't realize that there are words to the song is they're kind of aren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There shouldn't be. So, as best as I, I could determine these lyrics were added in 1974 by an arranger named john brimhall not for like a recording of the song or a performance of the song no for beginner piano books so at this point you know 1974 is post the success of the sting so like you know scott joplin and this piece of music in particular are having a moment uh but uh yeah, no. This was just in a beginner piano book somewhere.
0: I learned piano in the 80s. I either learned from a Rim Hall book or these lyrics ended up in other easy piano books, too, because the lyrics were definitely familiar to me. And I'm sure yeah. that's where I knew them from.
1: Or from this episode of The Muppet Show. <laughs> yeah, Maybe, and- but I
0: can sort of picture them on a page. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, like they, they didn't sound unfamiliar to me, but... Similarly, I was like, I I do vaguely remember seeing these in a piano book at some point, but I mean, the song was in the public domain by this point, so I mean, it 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 makes sense that somebody would capitalize on it <laughs> in a really unfortunate way.
0: There's an absolutely bonkers discussion about this on the talk page of the Wikipedia entry for this song, because there's just not enough consensus that John Brimhall is the person who wrote these lyrics. And so there's just like sniping back and forth between Wikipedia editors about whether or not this belongs on the page at all. It's very entertaining. If you're into that sort of thing,
1: if Speaking going to the entertainer page for entertainment.
3: <laughs> yeah. Which uh, there is actually some entertainment to be found that has nothing to do with uh, John Brimhall. I, I found an absolute gem, uh, uh, I, I have to just re- read this to you. It says in the June seventh, nineteen o three, St. Louis Globe Democrat. Contemporary composer Monroe H. Rosenfeld described the entertainer as the best and most euphonious of Joplin's compositions to that point. It is a jingling work of a very original character, embracing various strains of a retentive character, which set the foot in spontaneous action and leave an indelible imprint on the tympanum. Just I stuff, like- couldn't say it
0: better myself. Who among us?
3: Just sounded like dialogue from The Music Man. I
2: I just, I okay, so (laughs) back to the Muppets. I the only thing I like about this is when when Milton Bro is like, "Hey, that's the entertainer." There's a real you dumbass quality to Ralph's delivery of, "Yeah, that's the name of the song," (laughs) which I really (laughs) appreciate. (laughs) But then, like everything else about it, like I. If you're not watching along with us, please go to the show notes and look at this bizarre assortment of characters. I mean, it's Fozzie and Scooter and, and Rolf, obviously there is um, like some sort of showgirl, whatnot Muppet. And I don't like, where did she come from? I, I get like sort of like old West saloon girl from her costume and wig. I don't know what's happening. There is a clown with stars for eyes, which is fucking terrifying. (laughs) <laughs> and it yeah, keeps the, looking at people That dead clown kind of kills them. it's it's not and i'm like not a like knee-jerk afraid of clowns person it's so fucking creepy I, ah. and then like the whole like the way that the muppets like burst into it and then come back it's it's like it's like milton Burl is like dying his whole delivery is so laconic, and then like the Muppets have this like burst of energy, and then are gone. Like he's having some sort of fit. Like it's like it's all happening in his brain, <laughs> or maybe this is what's happening to me right now. <laughs> I don't. know. This very much has that
0: like in memoriam for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You saw
2: the Tiki episode. It's like the end of all that jazz, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like, he's, it's like he's, he's having this final burst of entertainment, and then it's gone, and it goes back to the like funerary delivery i don't know it's so fucking bizarre
3: before you
0: die this you you see the clown it's also weird because milton burl can sing he's just choosing not to Here, like he's not a great singer but like he sings in top banana he sang during his career he like recorded songs like he's not he he could have sung this instead of just sort of reciting it like a dirge i don't know
1: yeah it did i i didn't have as much of a problem with it as Adam did, but I did once we got to Top Banana later in the episode and I discovered that, oh, he does sing. Wait, why didn't they just have him sing? I was assuming that he was speak singing because he could not or would not sing. <laughs> so yeah, this, the somber speak singing is remains mysterious. I,
0: I just want to say this clown that, that you hate so much, this is not the first time we've seen that clown. You actually loved him quite a bit or her, it, them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's go with it for this clown. I don't you, think you
0: I, lo- I understand that we've seen them before, but did I love it? Yeah, I think I think if we roll the tape from the Joel Gray episode, uh, we call out the appearance of the clown in Comedy Tonight as a highlight of that number.
1: That doesn't sound Maybe. right. Maybe. That doesn't sound
3: right at all. I I mean, I, I did. I, I'll own okay. it. Okay, but also like I secretly I, I love the clown, but I love the clown because fair. the clown is weird.
1: But also
2: like the staging of that number versus the staging of this number. Like in this, the clown is like downstate center in a in a group sing. And then it like turns to look at Milton Berle with its dead star eyes. It's very (laughs) different from, from like the, the frantic energy of comedy tonight where I'm sure I didn't notice it's dead star eyes.
1: Yeah. It's much more visible for much longer here. The, all the characters in comedy tonight, the way they pop in and out, it's like a blink and you miss it kind of thing. So if you watch it a second time and you spot a weird clown or or you discover characters you didn't even know were in the number, it, That makes more sense to me.
3: In comedy tonight, all it does is go, ah!
2: (laughs) (laughs) And there are Muppet clowns ahead in our journey that I am very much looking forward to. Like, I I am not, (laughs) I'm not anti-clown. It's just those eyes.
3: Uh, So uh, deeper down the, the, the rabbit hole we go with our UK spot, which is second verse, same as the first. Except this time, Ralph is still at the piano. And in comes Piggy.
0: I did not realize this was the UK spot. And not that it excuses it, but at least explains it a little bit. A little bit. It's still and I weird. think you're right that it maybe that means that it would have been separated by a commercial. I don't I don't know if that does or doesn't mean that. But at least it means that in the United States, we only got the worst version of the song. <laughs> I guess.
1: I mean, it would make a little more sense if you come back from commercial and Rolf is still at the piano. Everybody else has gone home and he's just kind of staring forlornly into space. Right.
2: Well, he is doing that. And Piggy comes on and literally says, hey, Ralph, can you play that song again? And he does. <laughs> <laughs> the
3: entertainer, the star of the show. What's man?
2: I literally thought that they'd forgotten to do a UK spot, and we're like, "Well, we have the track, but it's not the same
3: track; it's a totally different arrangement." Oh. Yeah, I for as utterly batshit as this is, I sort of love it. Like,
1: I love this the is definitely like, better
0: than the previous Entertainer. Oh
1: yeah, it is more yeah. entertaining than the previous iteration of the Entertainer. Yes,
3: yeah, Piggy's like t- practically twerking. She's like. Shimming all over the piano
2: it's always really fun to see jim henson and frank oz together and um, we don't get to see ralph and piggy together in this way very often you know in the way that we see kermit and piggy together or kermit and Fozzie. so i found this fun for that reason but i don't understand why we're hearing the same song again immediately i found it maddening
3: I also noticed that when when Piggy comes in, she calls him Ralphie, which is a thing that like she does also in the Muppets Take Manhattan. And, and I I don't know that I have ever heard her do that any other place. So I'm not quite sure what that's about. But uh, but it's a fun time. She actually does it in the clip that uh, we discussed in my episode of the Moving Right Along podcast.
1: <laughs> oh. It's fun that so, she she becomes a character here almost she she is definitely herself she's definitely miss piggy the way she's throwing herself onto the piano and shaking everything she's got just to for the sake of entertaining but it seems like this is a little bit more of miss piggy just trying to sell the song or maybe even be a little flirty getting up right up next to ralph at the piano and kicking him out of a couple of octaves so she can play the piano too You're
0: making it's- kermit jealous that's what she's doing mm.
1: It made oh. me wish
3: that this iteration of Piggy could time travel and do a number with
1: Lizzo. This had big Lizzo energy. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> she lets it all hang out there. She 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 shows so much that at one point Ralph covers his eyes. In addition to saying "hubba hubba," but at some point she's shimmying so hard that Ralph like looks and then covers his eyes because he can't handle it. But then immediately uncovers his eyes and looks again. <laughs>
3: Alright, so we have two more numbers uh, after this uh, Thankfully, neither of them are the entertainer. Our next number involves an owl Ooh <laughs> my heart away Ooh. <laughs> Makes me dream all day Dreams I knew can never be true Seems as though I never be blue Ooh not happiness. so yes this is uh, zelda rose and her singing owl. zelda rose being the librarian we saw in the library sketch in the woman episode and also the teacher that we saw in silhouette in the uh, inchworm number in the charles asifor episode And this is the, we had mentioned previously that there were various appearances of female performers auditioning to be on the show. This is the second instance of that. Zelda Rose is performed here by Abby Hadfield. And this number was recorded for one of the albums later, uh, but re-recorded with Louise Gold.
1: So, Which is why it sounds so off-putting to hear this version, because I've heard the Louise Gold version many times.
3: It's a very funny voice, though.
1: I, I sure. enjoy
3: this. It's from a, a musical called "Sunny" from 1925. Jerome Kern wrote the music, and the lyrics were by Otto Harbach and Oscar Hammerstein. And uh, yeah, Sunny. there were two movies made of it in 1930 and 1941. And people complain about reboots now.
0: Uh, <laughs> I've watched both of those movies in the last year.
3: I had a feeling you might have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been going through this, like, uh, discovering and rediscovering the movie musicals of the 30s through the 50s. And Marilyn Miller was, like, a enormous stage star of the 20s. In fact, there's a statue of her on the outside of the building where I work. But because she only made a couple movies in there from this, like, very primitive era of motion pictures, most people don't really have a sense of, of what she was like. So it was a treat to get to see her.
3: Just imagine if they had done this number with the owl and the star-eyed clown. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know the owl's eyes start out closed, and I sort of had a similar moment of like, "What is this creepy owl?" And then it opened his eyes. I was like, "Oh no, okay, it's cute, it's fine." <laughs> it is. It's totally cute. But at first, I like thought something was wrong with its eyes. the The Zelda puppet is this the first time it gets a name? Yes. Like, I know I so. we know its name because we have the internet. But like her name, her name. Her name. Yes, sorry. The <laughs> But the puppet, the <laughs> puppet is funny because she has a very small mouth and a very tall head. And so when she sings, like, it, it's almost like the, the top of her head tips back instead of the bottom of her mouth opening, which is how it should work.
1: It is cute. And I like the little pinched mouth. And I feel like the little pinched delivery that Abby Hadfield does here, even though it's not the Zelda Rose that I'm used to, I I think it it fits and it's fun and bizarre. Yeah. I would also be remiss if
3: we moved on without mentioning that this is the one song, this episode that was recorded at one point by noted Joe Raposo, San Frank Sinatra.
0: Although the more famous version I think these days is uh, Judy Garland also recorded it. She played Marilyn Miller in the Jerome Kern biopic Till the Clouds Roll By.
1: I'm going to have to listen to those because I don't know how to do this without an owl.
2: or Or why you'd want
1: to. Right. As far as I'm aware, this is written for human and owl. So last but not least, Fozzie
3: gets to have his big lovely moment with Milton Burl.
4: If you wanna be the banana, you gotta start from the bottom of the buttons. You gotta know the joke about the farmer's diet, then take it in the kisser with the solo water. <laughs> You wanna be a bird, that's comet? It's basic training for you to take a punch. You gotta roll your eyes and make a funny face and do a take and holler. This must be the place! If you wanna be the top banana, you gotta, gotta start, start
3: from, from the bottom. Up. So, this is Top Banana from a musical called Top Banana. Uh,. For- from 1951, uh, written by Johnny Mercer, or as Muppet Wiki strangely refers to him, John H. Mercer. No, sir, that's my father. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Mercer, I hardly know her. Sorry.
3: Yeah, yeah. just like
2: I've
0: never merced. Sorry.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> I mean, like that—that's like that's what you say when you stub your toe. Oh, John H. Mercer. <laughs> So, yeah, so uh, Top Banana uh, was a musical that was a star vehicle for Phil Silvers, and it was based on Milton Berle. Uh, In this very meta way, uh, Milton Berle is uh, singing a song written for a character based on him. That's weird and delightful. And speaking of also Muppet Show meta, uh, in the show, it's preceded by The Banana Sketch.
0: Top Banana was one of the... First Broadway musicals, I think that was like filmed on stage and then released as a film. So uh we'll put a clip in the show notes so you can watch them do the banana sketch into this song. This was delightful. We talked about it earlier. I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say. Uh it's funny because Top Banana as a whole is not a, a show or a score that I think very highly of, but the number done this way just it, it works so perfectly for who Milton Berle is and who Fozzie Bear is and who they are together.
3: Jazz, listen, Turkey.
1: What? And get out of show business. (laughs) All right, let's talk about some of our sketches. So Milton Berle has a comedy monologue, which we've heard Scooter talk about as having been very successful. But (laughs) we can hear that this is not the case because Statler and Waldorf are in rare form.
4: Uh, Just a minute, please. I have been a successful comedian half of my life. How come we got this half? (laughs) Look, did you come in here to be entertained or not? That's right. What's right? We came in here to be entertained, and we're not. (laughs) Yeah? I'd like to see you come down here and be funny. You first!
1: (laughs) So I know Statler and Waldorf are expected to heckle and torment Fozzie every single week, but they're just being very inhospitable and it's not very nice. And Milton Berle smiles at the audience at the end like he knows that this is all an act, but he does look very upset, which is yeah, very unnerving.
0: I mean this was yep. also a bit that he was famous for. Like he did this with hecklers both planted and not throughout his career. Like this is what his joke file was was so well suited to prepare him to do so yeah, just, you know i think we're just seeing him do what he does and and do it so well i this to me was the highlight of the episode i was laughing out two. loud the entire time
1: i mean they were very funny but also just i i was cringing because you know he's a guest we should be nicer <laughs> to our guests
2: <laughs> it it is maybe a step too far when gonzo comes out on stage
3: how's it going How was, mr uh, Bird? oh
4: i'm gonna start with you now how's it going it's gone terribly. It's it's gone. these guys have been picking on me, insulting me ever since I started.
1: What well, can I help you out?
4: Please, huh?
1: Which way did you come in? I would. <laughs> He's just trying to help.
2: It did make me laugh out loud for. every time. But <laughs> Ansel, you work there.
3: <laughs> I also want to shout out. Uh, and we've talked about this before, but every so often they'll do uh, a shot like of the guest star, like from the wings, like. Or in this particular episode, it's more of a kind of like a Milton Burrell's eye view shot of Statler and Waldorf. And it's just really terrific.
2: Yeah. I was really curious actually about like in all the front on shots of him, like what, if anything, is he seeing and hearing? Cause like it, 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 the Muppet theater is not real. Like I assume he's not, um, I assume like he's not actually standing on a stage and can't actually like there's no box there to and then there's no puppets. Like pr- yeah. someone's probably doing Stellar and Waller's lines, but there's no puppets. But then they do those reverse shots where the box is there and I they're great. And I don't like I don't know if they were chroma keyed together or if that's actually they were a possible setup. Chroma keyed together. Yeah. <laughs> um I it fool it, it it fooled me enough that I couldn't quite tell and I, I everyone sold it really well. I really liked it. I don't know if it's just like trained my eyes from
0: doing this show, but uh, around the time that we are recording this, there was also that Wicked in Concert special on PBS, which I did not watch in full because I love myself too much, (laughs) but I did watch a clip online of Amber Riley doing Defying Gravity, Uh where she was also chroma keyed onto a stage in front of an orchestra that was definitely not in the same time and place that she was. And, uh, I would say that this Milton Berle, Statler, and Waldorf technology was as good, if not better, than
2: what we saw on this weird Amber Riley. Agreed.
1: People took more pride in their work then.
2: M- uh, Milton Berle calls Statler, and Waldorf, Starsky, and Crutch, which is a okay joke, but I noticed it because Bruce Forsyth also referred to Starsky and Hutch, and I just find it weird. This is the one piece of media that exists outside the Muppet Theater. <laughs> Was Starsky and Hutch like an international
0: phenomenon, and that's why they felt safe referencing it?
2: In the United Kingdom, the series was an immediate hit when it began showing on Saturday nights on BBC One, debuting 23 April 1976, and soon catching up with U.S. broadcasts. So, yes, your theory is solid. So that's why.
1: Let's talk about Muppet News Flash. There's not much to talk about in the Muppet News Flash. Uh, there's a fight over an inheritance, which doesn't exactly seem like it ought to make the news, but anyway, the Uh, This woman's son wins against her cat And is awarded with 10,000 rubber mice That's How about newsflash? I don't have anything else there No (laughs) Yeah, that is all Moving on, it's the debut of Pigs in Space But it's not quite the debut Of Jerry Nelson's announcer voice It's coming along Featuring the master of the swine Trek, the intrepid and well-fed Link Hogthrob and as first mate and second in command, the very cute and extremely dangerous Miss Piggy. And the super brain behind this whole ghastly mistake, the inexplicable Dr. Julius Strangeport. As
4: you recall, last week the spaceship Swine Trek was on a suicidal collision course with a mysterious
2: celestial object.
1: I love the tone of these intros, they're always strange and wonderful. And also, even just here in this first one, the look on Miss Piggy's face when it swishes by the camera, she does this kind of smiling grimace thing. It's wonderful.
2: It's so good. I was really struck by this intro. I've always thought of Pigs and Space as a mostly a Star Trek parody, which which it obviously is. But this is is such a like so clearly like a fifties, maybe even forties science fiction serial throwback. Um it's great. I just, it just like struck me as, as like a whole nother genre before we get to the Star Trek parody. (laughs) And then like Link Hogthrob is, you know, shattering all over the place. I love it.
3: I too would like to be described as very cute and extremely dangerous.
2: Oh yeah. Who wouldn't? (laughs) Do you not know that that's how I describe you all the time?
1: Yeah. In this chapter of pigs in space, uh, the swine Trek crew sees a white light heading their way, which turns out to be, Gonzo on a motorcycle hurtling through space in his little tuxedo. And he swerves away just in time, so they're saved. The end.
3: I feel like the appearance of Gonzo here really echoes
1: nicely with the plot of Muppets from space. That's where he came from. He came from space on a motorcycle.
0: I wonder if... I know we've talked about this throughout the first season about whether some of these segments were scripted sort of independently from the episode and then mixed and matched. But it feels like it would have made sense for this to be paired with an episode where Gonzo does a stunt on a motorcycle a and like flies off the stage. And I, and I wonder if we will see such a stunt later in the season and think, huh, that Pigs in Space episode should have gone here. We'll find out. Or maybe it was in the writing of this Pigs in Space that gave them the idea that later on Gonzo should do him a motorcycle thought He stunt. looks so
1: cute Who on knows. a motorcycle. Let's put him on one again.
0: I was very distracted in this by the decal on Piggy's uniform being like half detached.
2: I was so worried it was just going to fall off.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Do you think there's a penalty aboard the swine trek for your uniform being out of line?
2: Very lax military structure on the swine trek. It's also unclear
0: if there's any other crew besides the three of them.
1: Yeah.
2: And the the ship seems very small.
1: The chain of command is not really clear either. I mean, we know who the captain is, but we also know that he's useless.
0: This segment ends with Jerry Nelson announcing, tune in next week for last week's chapter of Pigs in Space. And that struck me as particularly funny, given that this series, meaning The Muppet Show, not Pigs in Space, is one where the episodes were shown in different orders in every market where it played. And I wonder if the writers were a little bit like airing some frustration about that with this line.
1: Possibly. I don't know. What stories do you think they were itching to tell that they couldn't do because there was no order?
0: Well, it's not so much that there were stories that they couldn't do, but like, you know, in the first season, for example, we had the example of Scooter possibly appearing and then a week later being introduced and the same thing with mm-hmm. Uncle Deadly. And, and I can see that being like, at least a little annoying to writers.
1: Yeah. More so
0: it was a little annoying to More viewers. the so beginning of the series. It's
1: like, oh, let's meet Scooter when we've met Scooter, but maybe less relevant by the second season?
0: But also we aren't watching in the order that they aired Unless maybe some marketer them in this order. We don't know. So I I don't even know if that's true. If that's accurate, maybe they did see them in the right order. All I know is that uh, if Pigs in Space is meant to be serialized, you can't do serialized drama slash comedy if you don't know what order your episodes are going to be in.
1: True enough. This brings us
0: to the end of the episode. Does anyone have final thoughts about the Milton Berle episode?
1: Another show, another headache. (laughs) I, I gave my award for best line of the week too. I lost the suit because I love it so much. And the Muppet horror is a clown with stars for eyes, but also in the entertainer, Lydia, the tattoo lady is standing in the back and she's always my favorite. So that's my favorite Muppet of the week, Lydia. She's there. If you want to find her, you got to watch the entertainer again.
0: I was happy to see her. It did not make up for that number. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Muppetergy. We'll be back next week. Tear into the rich little episode and don't want to miss. it. You might. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at MumpaTurgy, or on the web at Muppetergy.com. Tell your friends about this podcast. We'd love to have more listeners. Our theme music was composed and performed by Christy Bauer. Our show logo was created by Tom Ryan Backus. This episode was edited by me, David we're definitely Thanks, not Donzo. using that take. We're definitely using the, the first <laughs> chaotic
1: take. <laughs> <laughs> That's your artistic choices to make.
3: Yo, ghost, rules. what do you know about great art?